Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. You're listening to In the Wings, where artists talk about their lives and their work. Now, actors Eleanor Methven, Jared McCabe and Michael Liebman talk about working on Tubes by Gary Mitchell. My name is Eleanor Methven. My name is Jared McCabe. My name is Michael Liebman. I play the character of Ruby, who is the grandmother of the uh, tribe that you meet throughout the play. I play the part of Billy, the gang leader, in the new play Tubes by Gary Mitchell. I'm playing the character of Keith, a slightly hot-headed, not-so-well-educated, 50-something-year-old loyalist band member. The play is about a little kind of uh, loyalist enclave, I believe that's how it's referred to in Demedia. Um, we meet various characters. There's a, a guy called Titch, who's very well-meaning, a young fella who wants to promote a better side of the orange culture. So he's interviewing various people for his YouTube channel in an attempt to say, look, we're lovely people and it's all about culture. It's not about hating Catholics. Gary Mitchell and I are good friends. We uh, met whenever I auditioned for a show uh, called Smiley in the Lyric Theatre back about five or six years ago. And we just hit it off. Um, we've done some readings together, workshopped a few things together. And uh, yeah, now we're down at the RTE doing uh, tubes together. He certainly writes uh, what he knows about. And uh, boy, does he write it well and funny. I have not laughed so much probably since the last Gary Mitchell play that I did. <laughs> Good heavens, writing about loyalists, what will he think of next? Billy, my character, is a, a gang leader and he uh, he rules his seven dots with an iron fist. Sort of, There's a rule book that they want to uh, keep to and he's at the head of this. So they're trying to to give credence to the, the organisation that he's at the top of it and there's a way things should be um, set up and run by him. Um, obviously, this is Gary doing what Gary does best, which is uh, describing his own culture to himself with a very wry eye. It's essentially about loyalism and well, through the eyes of loyalist band members, you know, the 12th of July bands. So very interesting. I've always wanted to know, you know, what that kind of scene was like. And I'm not sure Gary has touched upon the band thing previously, but certainly it is both, in a very strange way, tragic but hilarious. I can't seem to find... It's hard to explain, but my character has made me laugh so much. He's endearing, yet he's a horrible person, and it's a weird juxtaposition. Um, I, I can't really explain how I feel about it. I'm going, should I be laughing and loving this character? No, but I do. It's an odd one. And only Gary Mitchell can seem to put his finger on that, you know? I think the character Billy, uh, as well as being a hard man and uh, the, the gang leader, he's, it's misunderstood as well. I think this is the way that um, he has to be in, in this area where they're brought up. They're in a little world of their own and it's... It's set up in a hierarchy scheme of who's more important. And I think that Billy has to set himself up as this hard man. But actually, I don't think that uh, it's a role that he would would have taken upon himself if he had a choice. The play Tubes is, uh, is similar in a way to A Little World of Our Own. Um, one of Gary's uh, most famous pieces, which I think is 
his best work. And what he really taps into there is this societal aspect of, of certain areas of Northern Ireland where are so compact um, that you have to set up this status system of who's in charge because they don't they don't listen to the normal rules and regulations of politicians or, or police forces. It's all community based who's in control of the community. And yeah, it's lovely to get back to the, that, that sort of work that Gary um, started out with. Um, which is true to life and still happens to this day in Northern Ireland. I'm now living in Dublin. I've been here for exactly 20 years. Um, I'm from County Derry, South Derry originally, but I did work out of Belfast for a long time with a company called Charabang during the 80s and 90s. And when that finished, I just came down here to see what I could do. Peace broke out and I thought, that's my work done now. I'll come down and help out here. There's been some changes we've come a long way in the last 30 years in Northern Ireland, um, but there's still certain um, pockets of the community on both sides that would still um, rule their community uh, through uh, paramilitaries rather than um, the PSNI, which is a shame and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll push that out. Well, I'm in the business roughly 36, 37 years, something like that. And I started as a child actor um, playing the Artful Dodger in the musical Oliver at the Lyric Theatre Belfast. And like many artists before me, Jimmy Nesbitt and several other famous people, that was our first roles. And we just um, progressed from there. I'm not quite sure what ever gave me the idea. I do remember sitting in a cinema at, I think, the age of six or seven and watching Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady and something in my head, I just thought, I want to do that. It was the character, really, more than anything else, because... The next time I was taken from a big treat was The Sound of Music and I thought, I don't want to be the soppy nun running around mountains. So it was always character-led, but I, I learned all the words, I learned all the songs. Anytime in primary school there was a bit of a skit going on, I'd be up there. Um, I, I mean, there's nothing like it in the family, I don't think. I grew up in in rural South County Derry and um, went to a, you know, a grammar school where they certainly didn't teach drama. They do now. They have all kinds of things. But then it was, you know, very, very straight grammar school education. They would do a play once every two years. And uh, I gave my Lady Bracknell at the age of 14. I believe it was definitive. Uh, but I remember that very clearly, being Bracknell and getting up there and timing laughs and knowing that I definitely had an innate ability for that and the joy, the thrill of realising there was something you could really do um, has never left me. Um, I started acting when I was about 11 or 12 with youth theatre really and then got my first uh, break when I was about 16 on, on Crime Watch UK funnily enough um, it, it wasn't me, I was just acting in it as a reconstruction um, but yeah, then it sort of it took off I was a children's BBC presenter for a while and got into the acting that way I knew from day one or evening one when I first trod on the stage that this was meant for me. Um, it was a professional show, so my I didn't do any amateur. I went straight into professional at 14. And uh, I was lucky enough then to get cast in some television dramas at 16. Danny Boyle, actually, his very first television uh, directing job was for BBC Northern Ireland. Uh, working for Children's BBC was great. It was back when the, the BBC, you, you were able to swipe a card for everything, your costume, your lunch, uh, your dinner and stuff like that. Things have changed now. You don't get away with that anymore. Charabang Theatre Company was founded in uh, 1983 and it came out of the frustration of five Belfast actresses. There was myself, Mary Jones, Carol Scanlon, Brenda Winter and Maureen McCauley. And uh, we got tired of... 
uh, the kind of roles that we were being offered back in the early 80s. It was always the wife, the mother, the girlfriend, if we were working at all. And instead of being the wife, the mother, the girlfriend, we wanted to see if we could be the somebody in the centre. So we went to uh, the then up and coming local playwright, Martin Lynch, and asked if he had any work that we could take around pubs, clubs, whatever, sketches. And lo and behold, Martin's work was all written for men. So uh, he suggested that perhaps we should try and write ourselves. And uh, we started doing writing workshops once a week with Martin and so on. And it became obvious that Mary had a real talent for it. So we devised the work on various themes. And our first one that we went with, I mean, we thought we didn't think it was going to be a full time company. We thought we were just going to be a one off. Um, it was a play called Lay Up Your Ends, which was highly successful, and it concerned the mill workers in Belfast, a huge part of Belfast culture in 1911, and a little-known mill strike. It was you know, a year before the dock strike, but very little to be found about it in the papers because the same people who owned the mills owned the papers. So we did a lot of interviewing of the elderly women who'd worked in the mills who were now, that whole culture has now faded. So it's a great record of that time. And our main impetus was to put the voice of, of working class women forward. And that started a company that lasted until 1995 and we toured internationally to the States, to Canada, Germany, a lot in Britain, down in the South all the time. And we were the first Irish company to go to the Soviet Union in 1984. After presenting, then I got more into uh, the theatre and I've worked with um, all of the theatre companies in Northern Ireland and most of the theatres um, there. Came down to Dublin, studied at the Lear and the, the Lear Drama School there in Grand Canal, which is fantastic. Did um, a master's degree in theatre directing and that's a whole different ballgame. It was brilliant to see how the industry in Dublin here um, is so different to Northern Ireland. You get into this sort of click in Northern Ireland where you know everyone because it's just a small industry. And then your eyes are, are wide open when you come down to Dublin. It's so big and, and, and so spread. So it was great to work with the professionals in the industry there that teach in the Lear. Annabelle Common, Karen McCulley. You know, you've got uh, great people there. Carmel Morrison coming in to direct and stuff and, and do workshops. So when you're working with people that are actively still working in the industry, you feel like you're getting a really good um, education. When I came out of school, you were well, there was wonderful. I mean, the people nowadays would be very jealous. Full grants if you were from, you know, the UK jurisdiction. And my parents were horrified when I said I wanted to be an actress. I mean, for goodness sake, why don't you go and do something sensible? So um, I couldn't get a grant to go to drama school. There were no drama schools on the island. I would have had to go to Britain. And uh, the grants were given by local authority funding. And you can imagine how conservative Middlester local authority funding was. So you could you could get a... a if you're going to train as a drama teacher, yes, you could do that. So I went off to do um, a drama degree with film studies minor and I was really, really unhappy. And I knew that I'd taken a wrong turn, but I didn't know how to get back on the ladder. So I kind of put my foot down and said, I'm leaving. I'm coming home. And again, parents horrified. Uh, I said I would go to Kent, which was my second choice university the next year. Again, they held places open for you. This is the past is a different country. Um, it was my father who said, well, you're not just sitting around here in your backside. There was a new theatre open, the Riverside in Coleraine. And he said, I'd been in the, the National Youth Theatre in London for, for a term. And he said, uh, well, why don't you apply there and see if you can work behind the bar or you can sweep up behind the stage or whatever. So I wrote and they just happened to be reforming the Theatre and Education Company, a full equity company. And they had two equity cards to give away. And I auditioned and I got one. 
and somehow never took up my formal education again. So, no, I'm not trained. And a lot of actors of my generation are not from the North or certainly are not. You had to learn on the job. So I'm very glad there weren't video cameras around when I was starting off. I'm sure it was deeply embarrassing. My very first television drama was directed by Danny Boyle and it was called Scout. And it was in 1986 and that was about a very famous football scout called Bob Bishop who spotted Georgie Best and Norman Whiteside. And we had the lovely Ray McAnally playing Bob Bishop. So again, as a first for me, doing television to work with Danny Boyle, uh, who was an unknown then, but he was still very good. And Ray McAnally, it was a tremendous uh, beginning for me. I have been lucky enough that I have been able to work and survive at a Belfast, but I do see the arts in Northern Ireland has been stripped back so much now. You know, in the whole of the UK, we're, we're the lowest in Ireland. We're only uh, like £5.30 per, per capita, whereas it's €12 Euros down here and it's 15 in Wales and Scotland and about uh, 12 in the UK. So Northern Ireland is way behind in, in funding. So what you find more and more is you have to go across the water. Whenever I, I've just finished doing Stones in His Pockets there, as soon as um, the COVID restrictions were lifted, I went over to the Barn Theatre in Sirencester. Um, there still was no work happening in Northern Ireland at all. But we were able to open theatres in the UK earlier for some reason. So I got um, cast in Stones in His Pockets, a great play by Mary Jones. And that was already starting to tour. But I just thought that that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to go wherever we're being hired. I have a, a family now that is my 18-year-old and my 12-year-old daughters, uh, Caitlin and Ella, that they are now in secondary school and, and one's going to university. So I now have a bit more time that I can go across the water or down to Dublin, whatever, wherever the work takes us. The culture has changed in many ways in the business in that uh, it is now, for instance, you know, when I was when I was young, you'd be in a taxi and you know, the guy would say, so what do you do for a living? And you'd say you're an actress and it would be greeted with derision, you know, because, you know, actresses weren't supposed to come from Northern Ireland for a start. But it also, it, it, it just wasn't looked upon as a proper job. And I think there's been huge success of Irish actors internationally now, both, you know, on television and film. And I think certainly a lot more women are writing now. And I see th there's just a, many, many more parts for women now. If you go back into the Irish canon, it's it's still quite restricted. The, I've played so many Bridget's, Mary's and Nora's. Um, and they're, as I say, they're, they're rarely the somebody. It has changed now. I mean, and for instance, there's cross-casting. Next year, I'll be playing Prospero. So there you go. And that, that no longer is, I think, a surprise for people. Um, certainly in terms of television and film, I think it has changed enormously, but particularly in Britain and the States. Uh, there are many female-led dramas. Um, I would really like to see more of that happening down here. But, you know, it's, it's about money as well. Not a lot gets made. Um, <clears throat> but great, for instance, to see um, herself, which I went to see Claire Dunn's new film. I mean, Claire's just is fantastic and she's doing so well in Kin and so on. And it's lovely to see a young woman like that that I worked with years ago really pushing ahead and, and forging for herself. And we've got so many of those bright young women now that you know, I'm very hopeful about it. Yeah. I did the Bassads, yes, in the uh, 1990s. Um, and that was a hell of an experience. Um, a fantastic experience in well, in regards to the way I was cast was unconventional. I was at a nightclub, I believe it was called Lily's Bordello. I was with Brona Gallagher, who knew the two directors, the Douglas brothers. And uh, she came over to me and said, oh, Michael, my, these two guys, I know they're, they're casting for Bassa. They're looking Northern accent. I said, bro, I'm already up for it. My agent has me up for it in the morning. 
I don't care. And she shoved me towards them. I literally shoved me and I landed on their table. And I said, look, guys, you know, I read the script. This is brilliant. I'm an actor. And obviously you've got actors talking about films and, and other actors. And this is great. You know, we're not just models drinking with lovely teeth, you know, proper actors. And I said, uh, I just made this up because originally the character that I was going to be reading for was based on Dennis Hopper from the film Blue Velvet with the oxygen mask and everything. But I thought, look, let's just play to what you can really do well. So I did my um, Jack Nicholson for them. I just said, listen, what if you called the barmaid Wendy and she could come over, you know, and take my pint that's not quite finished and I could go, Wendy, you just don't understand. Now, do you? Now I have to start all over again. And then she could take the glass, uh, give me a full glass and I could lift it up and drink it and raise my eyebrows and you could cut there. And he just looked at me and went, do exactly what you just did for me tomorrow. I'm changing the script tonight. Those sort of commercials, really, you're going to be offered something between five and ten. Uh, and that's it. Take it or leave it. Whereas before, it was great. Anytime they played it, you got money. But uh, I think that was a bit costly for them in the end, so they scrapped it. But it, it bought my apartment, shall we say. I think it was the last ad that had royalties before they scrapped the whole royalty idea for commercials. Well, certainly drama school isn't academic. I mean, for instance, we, we have two great ones here, both the Lear and the Gaiety. Um, I mean, the Lear is a conservatoire education. It's not if you want to study drama, you go to Trinity, you do a degree. That's a different thing entirely. Um, this is about vocational training. It's about well, it. The good thing is, I think now, I mean, it was always about voice, movement, all that sort of you can't you can't give somebody talent you have to have that yourself but I think what we're recognising more and more and certainly at the Lear is that how uh, mentally and emotionally tough uh, an industry it is so there's also uh, there has to be resilience training for people as well and knowing what to expect from the business and knowing how to you know how, what to expect from an agent all that sort of thing that's the sort of thing that you get at drama school and you also get the opportunity for three years for instance to play a part that you're far too young to play and to stretch yourself so it's 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 well worth your time to do that I think it's something to really fall back on I mean I learned on the job and uh, it is a great thing. I, I, I do hope this continues. I, I get concerned when I see casts that are all incredibly young. There's a, there is an importance to being in a rehearsal room with a stretch of generations. I certainly find it very, very useful when I was younger to be in a room with people like Stella McCusker, for instance, Trudy Kelly, watching really, really good actors, Kitty Gibson and Belfast. Um, I learned as much from them as anything else, yeah. I think they, they do teach that a lot more now uh, to look after your mental health. But when I was starting out, uh, it was, there was nothing like that. So you, you sort of, you handled that differently. You handled it um, with drink a lot of times and parties and uh, going out with your friends and and. and when we had this thing called the, the floating twenty pounds, whereas when we were skint, one of the friends would say, "Well, here's that twenty pounds, sure," and it floated around a group of friends that they knew when you were on the on the diners that uh, you had someone that was going to to help you up. But then we had the best of times ever, so it really did. Your your mental health was was up and down like a yo-yo, and it takes a while to get used to that. But yeah, luckily now there's a lot more things in place, um, and a lot more. Um, people that are there to talk to you uh, when you are going through these sort of things. So it's brilliant that the arts are looking out for each other. I'm in Iceland filming a no-budget movie uh, shot in black and white. 
having to be done in 75 edits because they couldn't afford editing suites. So they would film the entire scene from start to finish with one camera. And it was an Ed Wood style film. And uh, the producer who owned the trendiest bar in Reykjavik uh, gave me free beer, uh, thankfully. But uh, on the condition that um, I told the people at the bar that I was Jack Nicholson's son for his amusement because uh, he heard my Nicholson. Um. And so he turns to this beautiful, beautiful blonde woman who turned out to be some ex-Miss Iceland years ago. And all I heard him say was, She turns to me and her eyes light up and I'm like, how you doing? It's a nice place you have here. It's great to be in Iceland. What's your name, honey bun? And of course she bought it and I uh, spent the rest of the evening with her um, trying to remain uh, in character, which wasn't easy, but uh, I managed it. The rest would be for a different radio program. Touched by an Angel was, was one of the highlights of the career. It was a special edition version of it. They did two episodes over three weeks over in Salt Lake City at Roma Downey um, from Derry as one of the angels and she always asked that she wanted to do an Irish episode and they did a double episode which was introduced by Liam Neeson and stuff which was lovely. It was We were treated like royalty when we went out there because Roma had been asking for this for years and it was the last series of Touched by an Angel. And, um, so they made Peace in Ireland in two hours which I thought, well, if they can do that in Touch by an Angel, then there's, there's hope for us all. But yeah, it's it's just lovely to get that taste of what it's like when, when you make it. You know, you've got your own personal driver that drives you around. Whatever days you're off, you can still... We had our driver that could take us anywhere. And uh, on our days off, we were going up to Sundance Film Festival. CBS were getting us passes to see premieres of films. You were just rubbing shoulders with the stars. So... you. You were treated so well. The only thing is it lifts you to that high. Then you come back to Belfast and you're not working for another eight months. It's like, oh, well, that knocks you back to size. And your mum's like, ah, you're back on the dole. You get used to it. <laughs> um, I believe it's called the Kiss of Death Award. Um, no, I'm very, very honoured uh, to receive the Irish Times Special Award. At, um, I think it was 2017. Yeah. Um, where you have to get up and make an idiot of yourself and play a woman making a speech. Uh, no, I mean, I'm deeply honoured by that, of course, but uh, it, it, they're always very odd things. You think is the, the rumours of my death are greatly exaggerated sort of thing, you know? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it wasn't... It wasn't too hard in the heels of COVID, so that shut everything down anyway. So whether it is the kiss of death or not, I don't know. No, I'm doing all right. Thanks very much. I'm doing fine. I'm not going to complain. Um, as I say, I'm doing The Tempest next year with Rough Magic, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, I was lucky enough to be in the Abbey's Great Hunger during that opening in lockdown. And that was it was just a magnificent thing to be a part of because everybody was so glad to be out and it was in the open air. And I would love to have seen it, never mind have been in it. Um, of course, then we didn't know we were heading into an even more severe lockdown. And that's been it's been very hard on, on so many people. Um, I, I think I feel particularly sorry I think for the young actors coming out because if you are a bit established then then you know you've got that under your belt but um to come out to this it's hard enough to establish yourself when you come out of college without without facing into something with no work whatsoever but um yeah I think there I'm looking at recovery now I hope I sincerely hope yeah the business is a roller coaster it, I was lucky it was good to me from the beginning, from the get-go. It gave me the um, 
the energy and the enthusiasm and the dedication to keep going. I was getting work. Then after a while, if you don't make the right moves at the right time, it's all about the right moves at the right time, you're going to find that maybe you get left behind. One, as a young actor, should really go to where the bright lights are. And it's LA, New York or London. That'd be my advice for any young actor out there. If you can, go to these places and give yourself the best chance to really, to really make it, shall we say. It has been good to me. I'm not going to say it hasn't. I'm now of an age now where I'm not quite ready to be put out to pasture, but I'm happy in myself. I don't have the same amount of ambition and, and get up and go, but I've certainly maintained the talent. It's still there and it's, it's ready to go on tap. It's, it's one of those things, uh, I'm an actor first and I always will be, but in Northern Ireland, there's only so much work for professional actors. You have to go wherever the work is. And so I decided that actually, if I can uh, study directing and do that too, it's another string to my bow. So it means when I'm not working, I can be working on directing pieces. And uh, and it's worked out okay. It means you, you keep yourself in work, although it's been tough the last 18 months, obviously, due to coronavirus. But um, yeah, I, I think that if you have as many strings to your bow as possible in the industry, then you'll always have something you can you can work on. You know, trying to raise a family, difficult, very difficult. Um, yeah, we're freelance I'm of a generation that at least I have a roof over my head. Um, I'm deeply grateful for that. The mortgage is gone now. Hallelujah. I look at, and it's not just the youngsters. I think there's a lot of emphasis on that. I'm hearing from my colleagues who are in their 40s and 50s. Um, Women, for instance, who are really experienced technicians and stage managers, and they've been renting for years because they can't do anything else. They're very rarely out of work. And all the landlord says is, "Okay, off you go. They've been there for five years. They've created a garden. They've done whatever. And you're suddenly looking around and thinking at that age, am I going to seriously move in with other people? And but this is not just acting. I mean, this is this is all over the place. But I do think that that generation's getting forgotten about in the housing thing. It's not just kids. It's middle aged people. People that are find it very difficult now too. I've directed Girls and Dolls by Lisa McGee and that was her first play before she went on to do Dairy Girls and actually we did it in the Gaiety in 2018 and before turning it in Northern Ireland we did The Odyssey and The Millennium Forum in Derry and we had uh, one of the Dairy Girls in it, Jamie Lee O'Donnell and the young girl um, Jennifer from uh, Young Offenders as well. So that went down very well, that was one of my sort of professional debut directing and then I've also we're working with Gary to do hopefully one of his pieces um, next year. So I'm producing Night November by Mary Jones at the minute with my own theatre company, Soderbread Theatre. Night November, it, it charters this um, midlife crisis really of a character called Kenneth McAllister. He's a dole clerk in East Belfast and he's been brought up uh, the way he should have been and uh, married who he should have been and fought the fights of who he should but he never left his own area. And what happens is it's about the night in November 1993 when Northern Ireland played Republic of Ireland and Republic of Ireland needed to win to get into the USA World Cup. So Northern Ireland, it turns out, was very, very bitter um, relationships at that time, as you can imagine. It was just before the ceasefire and stuff. And Northern Ireland used this as a, a, a way to vent their anger, all these uh, loyalists. So Mary had, had witnessed this and was shocked by it and and literally wrote the um, play. It's nearly autobiographical, but she is, is Kenneth. And we've got a young guy, um, Matthew Forsyth, that we auditioned. We've seen over 300 people for this role. 
and we couldn't believe it when we cast him and it, he was just perfect for the role uh, he was from Lisbon but he could do the, the Belfast accents perfect and he told us when we cast him he was at the match in question with his school at 11 years of age but he didn't understand at that stage the all the sectarian chants and stuff and um, so we just thought that it's meant to be so we, he's, he's fantastic in the role in Chiswick he's just been nominated for the best actor in the office and the Stan Ovation Awards which is off West End Awards so we're really excited to get it back to Belfast here and, um, and put it in the Mac Theatre uh, for one last run There's always been a tradition of actors taking second jobs I mean you have to but the second jobs would usually be something you can drop at the drop of a hat you know a barman waiter we've all waited um, nowadays people teach, people are accountants um, it's it's hard to make a living, uh, you have to have something else to back it up really um, you're very lucky if you walk out of drama school and you go into straight into normal people you know, that's wonderful but that doesn't happen to everybody um, but it is it is finding something that will allow you the flexibility to take up an audition and do it and so on. I'd like to uh, go into politics, to be quite honest with you, Kevin. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, but I've started to pay attention to what's going on in the world rather than my own little world. Uh, like most actors, our world is just film, television, actors, scripts, art. You know, it's a beautiful bubble. But then after a while, you... You begin to look outside that bubble and what's going on in the real world and I've been doing that and I've been getting um, very interested in world uh, politics and so um, I would actually like to get into politics but I don't think it's going to happen. I'm a regular and give my headpiece up in Northern Ireland as well which is kind of like, I don't know if you get it down here, it's like a Mrs Brown's boy sort of satirical sort of canned laughter thing but it's great crack and the give my headpiece crew are, are so good this up there and it's one of the only things that really is regular work in Northern Ireland the the BBC are starting to do a new show Hope Street which um, carries in and hopefully that'll be more regular work it's nearly like a river city thing for up the north Give My Headpiece it actually started off as a, a short called Two Ceasefires and a Wedding that Tim and Damon and, and the gang the Hole in the Wall gang put together and it was actually another writer in Northern Ireland called Martin Lynch Martin Lynch watched and says do you know what boys you've got You've got a series here. You've got a series. And they didn't know what he was talking about. But he says, you've set up the two different families. You've got the drama there from the start. So you can... Right, and they have their 14 seasons or 15 seasons of it now. It's come back with a Christmas special every year. And now they're, they're re-recording more of them. So they really did um, set up. So it's a bit of a establishment now up in, in Northern Ireland that people uh, really love it. And they're, they're recognised everywhere they go. So it's lovely to come back. I'm a wee regular sort of chubby policeman that's always eating. In it, um, I've done some great scenes. We did a full Monty scene where uh, the police aren't getting their overtime anymore, so they become uh, strippers in their their PSNI uniforms and all. And that was that's one of the best episodes that we've done. We did had to learn three days of choreography to get the whole full Monty. Uh, so that went down well. Again, during this lockdown, we did a, a workshop on the Tempest um, during I think it was August. Uh, and we presented it open air in the garden. And it was it was very interesting sitting in the rehearsal room with that language, with the company and realising that how much you'd missed it. And this is where you swim, working with text, working with voice and so on. It was uh, it was a real fill up to think, yeah, no, I do still love my profession. Yeah. No. Better to regret things you have done than to regret things you haven't done.
And that was actors Eleanor Methvin, Jared McCabe and Michael Liebman talking about working on Tubes by Gary Mitchell. The producer of In the Wings is Kevin Reynolds. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One.